Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. You know what it is. It's Monday morning. Well, maybe a little bit later at this point. A little backed up on some work, but we're still getting out the content that you need so dearly. It is Monday Madness for June 15th, and you know, I had a pretty good weekend. Coming back out of it, uh, went up to around Leadville area, did La Plata 14er with some buddies, and felt good to get out there and be with people that make you happy, you know? Just being active, having fun, you know, forgetting your rain jacket and summiting a snowy mountain. It can't go wrong when you got good people around you, so, you know, reach out to someone you care about, let them know you care. But hey, what am I saying? Uh, I'm not your, your go-to therapist. I'm your oil and gas guy, and I'll try to get you some news. I mean, things have been slow lately, I will say, so this episode could be a little bit shorter because lots of the media is going towards other topics, but we've still got some important stuff to report to you. So, as of this podcast recording, WTI is currently at about $36.42, and the rig count as of last Friday, reported by Baker Hughes, is 279, which is down 690 from year to date. And that's a rough number. It seems like there's a lot of people out there losing, right? But it is always important to remember that when someone is losing, it is entirely possible that someone else could be winning. Right now, young startup companies could be the winners as they take advantage of the equipment that other mid-to-large cap companies are beginning to dump to generate some extra cash flow. Currently, the auction market for energy equipment is the most active it has been since the 1980s downturn, with employment on the come-up and prices hovering in scary territories. More and more trucks, fuel tanks, and coiled tubing units are becoming available. Richie Bros, the world's largest auctioneer of equipment and trucks, carried out a record auction at the start of June and sold 5,300 items for more than $81 million. That is a whole lot of moolah. Now, it does seem that either plenty of people are in the market for a new work truck, or they're trying their hand at acquiring equipment and developing new plans during this downturn. After all, Rare Petro was created in the middle of a downturn and has been thriving ever since. Still, for those of you listeners out there, I think your best bet <laughs> would be to get in good with the auctioneers as the commission on $81 million has got to be something nice. I will tell you what is less than nice, though. Denver-based extraction oil and gas has declared bankruptcy as they struggle to deal with $1.5 billion in debt. Of course, uh, right before they made this statement, they took a page out of Whiting's book and made sure to secure and pass out $6.7 million in retention agreements for 16 executives. Not nearly as much as Whiting did, but still a significant amount of money if you are $1.5 billion in debt. The filing reads, historic compensation structure and performance metrics are ineffective in motivating and incentivizing the company's workforce in the current environment, end quote. I don't know about you, but this seems like a scummy way to direct the blame towards the very employees that may be terminated while simultaneously giving yourself anywhere from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Steps have been taken earlier in the year to limit spending by decreasing the money allocated to exploration and production along with giving all officers a 10% pay cut. Now, I was curious how much 10% was, so we did a quick Google search of the president's salary. He made about $450,000 in base salary in 2018, which would mean a $45,000 cut. 
seems pretty significant if you ignore the other $500,000 in bonuses that he is receiving before considering stock award value and other compensation. It really seems like XOG has been ready to pull the plug for a while, so I'm excited to see how this restructuring works out, considering that they were the third largest producer in Colorado. Now, next, I'd like to talk about Canada for a little bit. I know, I know, we don't do that often, but things have been quiet there, and there have been some exciting new developments. Now, there's been some controversy around Canada's tar sands. For those of you who may not know, the Athabasca oil sands are 54,000 square miles of deposits that contain some really heavy crude. I'm talking bitumen heavy, where it's almost like pure asphalt being pulled from the ground. Now, the play has been exploited for several decades now, but progress has slowed as many have become concerned for environmental reasons. The target formation is relatively close to the surface, and, you know, if it's so thick that it's asphalt, companies would decide to open pit mine, dump the mixture of the sediment and oil into the trucks, and transport it to a factory where it could be melted and the sediments could be sorted out before processing. Although much of Canada's public has a generally more positive outlook on oil and gas when compared to the United States, there have still been environmental concerns that have limited the full development of this field. Once the activists opposed open pit mining, steam injection was available around that time. That was opposed as well. In order to prevent open surface pits that might contain toxic pollutants, a better pipeline system was proposed that would more safely transfer massive amounts of petrochemicals from Alberta deep into the United States. This was the Keystone XL pipeline, which was mostly constructed, but was denied an additional phase of construction once it became a political icon for the United States in the mid-2010s. The tar sands have been known to be at the center of some debate, but a massive turning point is in the works. Alberta is now pushing a new bill that will no longer require cabinet approval for new tar sand projects once they have already been approved by the Alberta Energy Regulator. In the past, the Alberta Energy Regulator, or the AER, was able to greenlight a project, right? But if cabinet got wind of it, well, wouldn't get wind of it once it made it to the cabinet, if they did not approve, they were able to veto it and shut it down. So rather than dual authorization, I suppose I would call it, it is now in the hands of the AER. And the benefit of this is that it could cut upwards of 10 months from the current regulatory process and really it has a better chance of getting more Canadians back into the workforce if you're speeding it up that quickly. I, for one, applaud Canada's efforts, but they had better be careful to pull this one off correctly. One environmental disaster, and I feel activists will hit them hard with all that they've got, and all this progress would probably be lost, as the bill would most likely be reversed, and dual authorization would be the standard once again. But, like I mentioned... This might be a little bit shorter podcast than usual. Lots of the media attention is turned elsewhere, so not a whole lot of new stuff coming out for oil and gas. But if you're really hankering for some new content, and I didn't get you your fix today, make sure to go to rarepetro.com, spelled as is with no spaces, because there is plenty of content there for you to consume. We've got, well, several months of podcasts up now. I've been doing this since October, and we've added segments over time. So you could just see... Hopefully, <laughs> the production and quality improving if you start from the beginning. Or periodicals. Plenty of news from uh, our very own here at Rare Petro being combined into data analysis 
that really can clue you into some things that wouldn't be so readily apparent. So, please, take a minute to go to the website, peruse the information, subscribe to what you like. We promise not to bombard you. So until we see you again next time, take care, everybody.